Hello, everybody. Ashley Adamson here. Hope that wherever and however you are listening to this, you're in a good, happy place. So in case this is your first foray into the show, welcome. Quick background on me. I live in San Francisco. I've got two young kids, an amazing husband named Chris. I grew up in Colorado and Michigan. Went to Boston College, and my background is in sports broadcasting. I've spent the last 11, 11 and a half years uh, working at the Pac-12 Network. And a quick side note, if you um, haven't heard about what's going on with the Pac-12, feel free to pause this, go Google it, and then when you come back, you'll know why my job is coming to an end in about six months. Uh, But new beginnings are a critical part of life, and as we dive in today, I'll just say that restarting this podcast um, has already given me a ton of joy and something really meaningful to focus on in the midst of a little bit of sadness and some uncertainty, if I'm going to be totally honest. So Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate you. And today is a big day because I get to introduce someone who has had a huge, huge influence on my life and really several of my family members' lives as well. Chantal Bello could write a like a tell-all book about the Adamson family um, if she wanted to. She's amazing. I've I've talked about her in season one. You may have you know heard me mention her before, but. She's an executive leadership coach, um, but that term to me like doesn't even begin to describe who she is and how she helps people. She's got experience working with leaders in all sectors. You name the industry, she's probably worked with somebody in that space. Uh, she's got a BA from Georgetown. She's got her MBA from UC Berkeley's prestigious Haas School of Business. So she's super wicked smart. And even more than those career accolades, because I could go on about all her credentials, but she is an awesome mom of three I believe middle school aged kids, um, and she lives in Oakland. So from the moment that I first worked with her about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I have always said that everybody needs a Chantal in their lives. I wish I could share her with the world. And so I think that having her be a regular part of this podcast is the best way that I could think of doing that. Um, So without further ado, I'll stop talking. Enjoy this conversation with Chantal, the first of many on season two. This has been a long time coming. And Chantal, I first need to apologize because I just realized that I didn't even know how to say your last name. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. So, it doesn't yeah. matter. It deeply it's pronounced. Matters. Yeah, it's pronounced Balo. I mean, it's a name I married into. We could have a separate whole podcast about, uh, you know, take, taking on a spouse's name. So uh, so I, full disclosure, I don't feel very attached to it. Okay. I do feel attached to the pronunciation of my first name, but last name is Balo. Okay. But I got, I mean, Chantal, I got your first name, right? Yes. Okay. Ashley. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, okay. Well, Chantal Balo, welcome to your podcast. You're officially a podcaster now. Like, does this, is it everything you dreamed of so far? So far. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but I want to acknowledge, I mean, Ashley, you have been so profoundly generous and even offering up this invitation to be part of it, to create something together. And I am really excited. So thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm excited for people to get to know you. Um, but I, I think too, before we just like totally dive in, I was thinking about all of the moments that sort of led up to this. And there were so many like internal conversations in my head, conversations with you, a very, very long walk, where I like finally worked up the courage to ask you to to be involved in this, you know, startup storytelling company in some way. And I was like asking you to be a part of something that I couldn't even define and didn't really know what it was. And and here we are. So I know we always like race from one thing to the next and that's just mm-hmm. how life goes. But I just wanted to take this like 
small little moment, give you a virtual like hug, high five and, and just say, honestly, like, thank you for saying yeah. yes and being up for doing something together. It's, it's awesome. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, oh. I gave a little bit of your bio, uh, but I think like to understand the work that, that you do, it's important to understand sort of how and why you got into this space. Yeah. And from what I understand, it all sort of started with moving to England very much against your will when you were in the third grade. Is that is that correct? Yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, of course, it's like we look back on our lives and then there's this connective tissue and it feels like it's this, you know, arc that makes total sense. Um, of course, that's not the case. And, you know, as a middle aged woman now, when I think about why I do what I do, I do think so much of it started with like a real disruption in my life as a kid. I was living in suburban Boston. My parents made the decision uh, for me and my older sisters to move abroad. Um, I went to a British school. I was the only American uh, and it was unpleasant in many ways. And yeah, and instilled in me, I think fundamentally a real curiosity in people. Um, it was my first time really feeling other and different mm. and I think having that experience is an important one and got me really fascinated with, oh, why do people believe what they believe? How much of that is informed by their family, their culture, their religion, and how much of that is really helpful and how much of that is actually very inhibiting. Um, and it's just, I've been then perpetually fascinated by humans and why we do what we do and why we make the decisions we do. How long did it take you to have like the appreciation for that move abroad? Uh, oh, high school was great. So okay. I, I went to the American school in London and, you know. So you were there the whole way. Sorry, you were there yeah. the whole. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I went third through 12th grade. I mean, living in London with <laughs> no drinking age and as a high schooler, that was great. That's so I good. had a, I went to the American school in London, had a phenomenal high school experience, um, but, you know, now raising three kids, I do, I have some, um, we are likely not to move away from Oakland for their childhood. And I feel some loss around that for them not to have that disrupted experience. They will have a sense of really entrenched community that I never had really as a kid. And so again, of course, it's trade-offs. Uh, but I do feel some loss and sadness that they won't have that. Yeah, I uh, we've we've talked about this because you know Chris and I have talked about the desire to move abroad and what that can do for your family and for your kids to truly feel like the other and be, you know experience that. I think there's a lot there. Um, in terms of like the work that you do now, how how would you describe it? I gave you know your uh, an executive leadership coach, but I feel like that doesn't those three words don't really sum it up. So how would you yeah. describe the work you do now? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I think even when I am meeting with prospective clients, I'm always like, can I demystify this for you? Because <laughs> I think like, what is coaching? I think for a long time, I was not clear on it. I was intrigued by it and was like, is this actually a job? Like, what do people do? <laughs> uh, so I would say at the heart of what I do is, um, you know, it's giving people the space to, in many ways, pause um, recognize their patterns, tendencies, impact on other humans, choices that they're making for themselves, mm -hmm. and then make a decision about, is this working for me? Is this working in my professional life? Um, is this the person that I want to be? Um, 
that being said, when people come to me, it's oftentimes with a more specific ask, right? So a client will come to me saying, I've gotten feedback that I don't give direct feedback and giving direct feedback makes me uncomfortable. How do I do that? But really with clients, there's a presenting issue and then there's something beneath the surface that they're grappling with or a tension that is hard for them to resolve. And that's the work that we do. Yeah. And I, I just think back to, um, you know, and so our listeners know we've done maybe two or three engagements together. I think our first was in 2018. And what I really, I mean, there were so many things that I loved about working with you, but one of the really most powerful things was that it just, it's what you said, it like carved out time for me to pause and think about my life and the things I'm doing and how I'm showing up. And it's like, Hey, once every two weeks, you're going to get off the hamster wheel and you're going to stop with your to-do list. And we don't have built-in mechanisms for that. And, and I think that we should. And so interestingly enough, and it's what I realized after the first season of this podcast with Lisa is that like, I've really been missing this carved out time to think about reflect on what's going on in our lives. And it's, it's really important. And people we're not set up to be able to do it. So yeah. I, I are you willing to share, Ashley, some of what we worked on? Yes, or I would love to. And I the... and that was and it's funny. So our, our yeah, our first engagement was in 2018. And to prepare for this conversation, I was looking back at some of the work we did together at the very beginning. Um, and I was smiling and it was really cool to go back to like that moment in time because, you know, there's and, and I'll let you share with kind of, you know, how you set up these different engagements. But I reread my 360. And so before I go into that, like, can you explain what a 360 is and and sort of why they are so powerful in the work that you do? Yeah, totally. So, um, so I do a couple different kinds, but the kind that we did together, I interview generally eight people. Um, I ask, you know, most often seven people from your professional life and one person from your personal life. And I get this incredible privilege of spending a half hour with folks that you direct me to, and I get to ask them right? What do you see as Ashley's incredible gifts and strengths? How do you see she also maybe gets in her own way or limits her impact? Um, And then I write up a report. I send it to the client. So I would send to you and then you get to absorb it. And then we get to debrief it together. Um, And the purpose is, you know, how do we get out of our own echo chamber and A, really sit with the incredible impact that we have on people And can we get information that says, oh, wait, I do have this blind spot or I'm having some sort of an impact that actually isn't great. And that's not the person I want to be. Are most people surprised? I'll I'll tell you kind of my feelings around when I got the 360, but like are most people, are there always things that show up that they're like, holy cow, I had no idea that that was how people were viewing this? I would say the majority of the time. And one one of the things that I particularly appreciate is when someone's like, shoot, I like, I know that about myself, but I didn't realize other people knew it, right? Maybe it's like, I I do hold a lot of stress and I do hold a lot of anxiety, but I thought that I had it under, I thought I was composed enough that it wasn't affecting people. Right. But like, we just, people (laughs) tune into us. Like we can't fool people the way that we think we can. Yep. Totally. And I, I remember, I remember it specifically like where I was in our old apartment, and I was reading it and it's, it's powerful. Like I, I remember telling you, I felt like I was reading my eulogy, but that it was like, I still had time to, to work on some things. And, and it was, it's amazing to hear people, both the good now to clarify why my, my 360 was like very kind and very uplifting. And it's, I think and part of that is that I don't true. manage, <laughs> I don't, yeah. but also like, I don't manage anyone. So I think a lot of the leadership executives that you work with 
are managing people. And so it's that feedback. So you weren't talking to anyone who like has to answer to me because no one has to answer to me, including my children. Um, <laughs> so like I felt great about me, three, my 360 and there was some really good, important feedback of what to work on, of like being less scripted and having more confidence and, you know, understanding just some different, like some of my social capital and different things. But it was, and just rereading it this morning, like it it's really meaningful. And I feel like everyone should have this done while they're alive, because as you and I have talked about, like people save all their best stuff for funerals. And well, I not just, only that, yeah. right? People will tell me things and positive things. I get that hard things can be difficult to deliver to people, yep. but people will reveal like deep appreciation for another human. And I'm like, why are you not? Why are you not telling this to the person, right? But it is. It's. It's. It can feel like a very vulnerable act. But you should know that. Like, you yeah. should be aware of this really important impact that you're having on someone. I think so much, I believe so deeply in, and this goes into parenting as well of like, you, you rise to others expectations of you and how people view you knowing that is so can be so powerful and hearing people even talk about you in the third person. Like the, it's so different. I'm like, you might be saying something in my face or you might tell me something, but for you to like share this with somebody else and for me to be able to read it, like I'm reading it about somebody else. It, I couldn't believe how impactful it was. And I think, yeah. I mean, I guess my question is, have you ever had anyone do a 360 for you? I, that's such a good question. I know not in the way that I do it. You know, no. I, in other, you know, places that I've worked, it's been like upward feedback and, but this is meant to not be evaluative. This doesn't go into a performance review. Right. And so it's a really, the intention is for it to have a really different feel to it. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't. Okay. Well, all right. That's it's on the horizon. I was just going to say, I don't know how to do them, but I've, I can just call like eight people in your life and interview them about you. <laughs> I think that's done. Um, where where do most people get stuck, Chantal? When when you, you work with and everybody's got different stuff, but if there's sort of having done this work for so many years, mm -hmm. are there one or two big things that really trip people up? Um. Yes. And I would say that um, it's, it's been interesting for me in my journey. I started um, I started out in the nonprofit world and I was there for a long time. So I was a Teach for America core member, taught fourth grade. Um, and I bring that up because when I went out on my own and started working independently a number of years ago, um, I had some curiosity about do people in the corporate world like do they grapple with the same things as people in the nonprofit world? Yep. Um, and spoiler alert, yes, because actually what is at the core of so many of the challenges that my clients face is just like very human condition struggles, mm. right? So if we think about it in terms of, um, I use the example of giving direct feedback. It's a struggle for people to balance this kindness and directness in delivering feedback, well, the layers beneath that, if you peel back the onion, it's really about like belonging and acceptance. What if I give feedback and someone rejects it or it leads to them not trusting me or they don't like me? Like, will I belong here anymore? Um, and, you know, some clients are more open or, or receptive to going to that level of, of depth and naming that that's fundamentally what it's about. But as a coach, like that's what I'm tuning into and paying attention to. Like, what is this deep human need that we oftentimes have for 
belonging, for acceptance, for feeling connected. And when that feels at risk, like we do some funky things Mm -hmm. that actually don't help relationships. Does that, you're you're nodding a little bit, like what's coming up for you just given some of the work that we did together? Well, and that's what I wanted to, I'm glad you asked that because when I, I think one of the things that you are really great at is getting people to identify specific goals because I think we can all know, right? Like we should always be in beta. We should always be trying to work on ourselves and and get better and grow and all the rest. But like you asking me, and I, again, I went back and looked at the notes, like, what do you want to get better at? What's the specific behavior? And I'm nodding because what you mentioned was like kind of what I wrote down. So I had three. One was uh, craft a longer term vision for my career that includes figuring out what my passion outside of my current job is that I can pursue, which here we are. Um, number two was rise above some of the negativity in the workplace and help improve our culture. And then number three, which is what we really spent a lot of time on, which is what you mentioned, is to be a more direct communicator and like get comfortable being honest with myself and others in the moment and learning how to keep empathy, but learn to also stop being a pleaser and apologizing all the time. And that was the focus. And I don't know what, you know, if you remember about some of the work that we did early on, but it was identifying um, like the story that you're telling yourself and I, and what you think is true and what you struggle with. And I, it took, we kind of really got in and defined what it was that I, my goal was what I wanted. And it was like my relationship with honesty um, was the thing that was at the core of kind of my struggle. And the reason that I had like made it to where I felt like, you know, made it to where I was. And the reason that I had a great group of friends and felt like I could work with anyone was because growing up in a divorced household, it was like whoever I was with, I was like, they were shining the light on them, you know, and like just pleasing, whether it was a parent or whatever. And it felt really important um, as kind of, I don't know, maybe I don't want to say like survival because that sounds so dramatic, but that was how I sort of cope. Yeah, it was a coping mechanism. Totally. So when I was with my mom, it was like everything she said was true. And yeah, and screw my dad. And when I was with my dad, it was like, your way is the right way. And yes. And so it really, you kind of helping me realize that. And what was the, um, I was, I'm blanking on what the actual uh, exercise was, but it's, is it called the big community? Yeah. Immunity to change. Can you talk about immunity to change? Because I just remember as I was doing that being like, wow, this is, I mean, it was like the best therapy of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I totally recommend it. Uh, there's a book called Immunity to Change, if folks are listening and curious. Um, I mean, the idea of it is it's an accelerated way of understanding like what makes all of us immune to change we care about, right? You're like, yeah, I do want to be empathetic and I want to stand my ground or I want to say when something is annoying or bothering me. Yeah. And yet what makes us allergic to that in some way? And so it's a it's an exercise that I walk folks through and then it lands on, which I think you were going to name, what are these assumptions, these big assumptions that are actually guiding our behavior that we treat as truth? So like when you recollect that in this relationship with honesty and your childhood, like what do you, what do you know about some of the assumptions that you were holding? Yeah, I mean, I was it was always that... Um... I felt like, and you were one of the first person, first people, you were the first person to ever say this to me and probably the only person, but I feel uh, like what I do is I, I validate people. That's like a core tenet to who I am. And I, it's really important. It goes in line with empathy and all of the rest. And I think you said it, you were like, do you ever think that you over-validate? 
And it wasn't, and I was kind of like, well, could there be a bad side to that? You know, like, what, what do you mean? Like, could there be too much validation? Like, don't, isn't that what people just need? Uh, and to feel seen and known and blah, blah, blah. And then, and I think that was when I really realized, and it's, it goes back to something that you and I have talked a lot about too, of like, your best thing is always related to your biggest weakness. Yeah. And so when you see that, and when I realize you know, I am able to, and we worked really hard and I can't even, I'm not even going to pretend like I'm going to be able to go through and talk about all the things that, that we did. But I will just say, I remember so specifically, Chantal, I called you. It was maybe like a year later when I had the courage to, in the moment, confront my neighbor about his trash bins that he kept like yes. putting like on our side. I don't even remember what it was, but there was something that for like a month I was yeah. losing my mind over. And finally I saw him and I was like, Hey, excuse me. Do you think, and I just asked him like direct, and he was like, oh, sure. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Yes, of course. Like I'll be more mindful of this. And I went into the house and I was like, I'm, ch I'm a changed woman. Like I just spoke up to the neighbor and asked him and didn't do some passive aggressive, like leaving a note or whatever. Like I just directly asked, and I just remember calling you and being like, sorry, this is so not important, but like it was a moment. It is. It, but it totally is because yeah. it's these like small incremental and we kind of, you have to start low stakes, right? It's yes. like, all right, the neighbor, it's right. okay, actually, if it, it creates a little tension, like you start low stakes in order to actually build up new muscle memory because we are really attached. Like, you know, I feel like it's safe to say, but totally course correct me, Ashley, like there is for so long, there has been an identity of I am a kind, flexible, affirming person. Yes. That is who I am. Yes. And then we get to a point where it reaches the bounds of its usefulness because you're like, this freaking neighbor is driving me crazy. And I don't want to be flexible and nice. And <laughs> I actually want to say what I want, which is get this out of my driveway or yeah. put your bins away. And, and the ability to actually evolve and stretch ourselves and imagine and envision that we can hold on to the things that are precious and also hold something else, I think is like the journey that we're all on if we're paying enough attention to it. Totally. It's like the duality of being able to like hold two things more than one thing can be yes. true, which you, yes. you really taught me. Well, the other thing that I feel like, and I'm curious if this just was an innate skill that you had. I just, I have to imagine that it was something that you learned and have refined over many years of doing this, but I've never met anyone who I could spit out like three and a half straight minutes of just garbage, like verbal diarrhea. And you'd, you'd say, okay, what I'm hearing is and you would put this like perfect bow and you'd say something. And I'd be like, yes, like that, that is exactly how I feel. And that wasn't even what I said, but how you pulled those threads out and like tied it into this beautiful bow and like held it up in the mirror to me it's that is a skill that like i swear I, d I don't know anyone who can just take in something and in the moment be like okay here's what i'm hearing so is that something that you've always been able to do or was that is that like do you get coached on how to do that like that's a Oh my God. I'm like chuckling over here for a couple of reasons. One, you are so affirming and I really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so I do feel very seen. So please continue to groom and grow that strength. Number two, I'm laughing because thank God my kids are not here to be like, what are you talking about? I feel like my mom does not fully see and instead just feels, you know, like there was, they should always be like emptying the dishwasher or doing something yeah. else. And I'm not actually fully listening. Um, and yeah. I mean, I think for me, I have always been, I think it comes back to this, like, just incredible curiosity about humans. I mean, if we had 
college roommates of mine on the on the podcast, they would be like, oh, right. Chantal was often the one, you know, kind of in the bar, like having some deep existential conversation <laughs> with someone. It's like, can you just, you know, for a moment, actually have a Coors Light. <laughs> Literally, just like chill out. Um, But for me, like, quote unquote, chilling out is so often like really being in deep connection with another human. And that is where I find like so much meaning and so much gratification. So it's a long way of saying, um, you know, yeah, I mean, I've, I've hopefully built some skill over the years. And I'm just like, oh, my God, help me understand your experience. Like, what is it like to be in your body and in your mind? And the more that maybe I can empathize and understand, maybe the more I can help you in navigating through. And I think one of the things too, you you talk about how important it is, to, we all know this, right? Like to be able to name something. I, I think I know, I've found this as a parent, if I can like tell my kids for them to say like, I'm frustrated, or even if I, for yeah. me to tell them what I'm yes. feeling, that it just, it like lessens the you know pressure cooker a little bit. But I think one of the, so often, we all feel like we're like these disconnected, like I'm the only one experiencing this angst or this stress or this feeling. And you realize, and you were so good at being like, hey, here is some verbiage around exactly what you're feeling. Here is how we talk about it in like, the, you know, in my world. And and knowing, it's like, sounds so lame, but I'm like, knowing it's, you're not alone. And that this is just, not only is it like you t- completely understand and see where I'm at, but that there's, you know, different framework for it is really, I think it's really powerful and really helped me so many times because you're just like, okay, I'm not the only one. And so often we get in our own minds and think that we're the only one. So what can I ask you, like, what's the thing that, you know, if you were doing your immunity to change, like what was, what were your, what was one of your big assumptions or what was something like, I'm sure you've done some self-reflection on kind of how, you know, you've wanted to develop and grow because that's a key and it's who you are. Yeah. Actually, one that I have been reflecting on a lot recently is this idea of um, like, if it's not like hard or challenging, it's there's something wrong. Um, And I have for so long, uh, you know, I enjoy learning, I enjoy challenging myself, but that can get over dialed. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, maybe it doesn't need to be so effort filled and maybe actually having something be quote unquote easy is okay. Um, And that's, I have not held that assumption. I have Mm -hmm. held an assumption that like, if I am not challenged, I am lazy, not growing, not learning, kind of insert whatever assumption is beneath the surface. And I think it's not, I think that motivation to grow and push myself is of use to a point. And then it just has like, you know, it, it just becomes very defeatist in a way that is not actually how I want to be and live. And it's really freaking hard to undo. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear that. I hear that totally. And it goes back to what we were just saying of like your best thing that allows you to yes. get to have done all the things that you've done in your life is also the thing that like, Hey, don't miss the joy and don't like the levity and those moments yeah. of ease yeah. are are really important. Yeah. Yeah. But I think often, you know, with this immunity to change mapping, it's helpful to just recognize like it is not truth. It is an assumption. Yeah. Right. For so long, I have operated that it is a truth that kind of things sometimes just are going to be hard and should be hard and you should push your way through it. 
versus, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be. And maybe this is actually a signal that I don't need to do this work or I can pull the, (laughs) press the easy button. Like, and that is okay and doesn't make me somehow inadequate. Really quick before, it's just, I am like, I have got goosebumps right now because I remember, I'm also now recalling, I think maybe one of the biggest breakthroughs I had with you in, in understanding that this was an anxiety of mine like a value and a hardcore internal anxiety of mine is that I struggled with complacency. Yes. And it was, I just, I remember it was this whole tug and pull between not wanting to be complacent, but also like, but where is the line between complacency and contentment? And how do you square those things? Like that really, and I still think about that all the time. Peace. Exactly. Because you do want to be, it is, you know, it is important that you're pushing and growing and that you want, but also like, just enjoy your life too, you know? Like just... right. There is totally a shadow side, right? Yeah. And I love that. And even the, you know, I think even the language that we use matters because complacency can have a, a negative connotation, right? Yeah. It, can, it can lead more into kind of laziness. I'm like but the terrified you, of it. Right, right. But then if you even replace it with peace, calmness, presence, and if we start to invite that, it, you can like befriend complacency a little bit, or yes. you can have a different kind of relationship if it actually is more about being really present and being calm. Yes. Um, but sometimes we don't even want to tread into that territory because we're terrified of becoming quote unquote lazy. 100%. I, and I remember the, um, like the breakthrough I had in that where I finally, again, I think it was a moment that I like called you or emailed you and I, and it was after we had finished that current engagement, but I was like, oh my gosh, I think this really, I now like see the light. Um, was, it was some article that I, I came across or maybe you must've sent it to me. It's yeah. Called, and it, it was, was a, complacency kills. Yes. In like times of war. war, it was like this contrast of like, if you can't adapt to times of peace. Uh-huh. Like, right. That's and, exactly right. Yeah. And I forget, and I'm, we'll have to, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes because I do remember, I, I remember I, we emailed it back and forth, but the the where that I landed on all of that is the way that you walk the line between complacency and, and contentment and peace is gratitude. Like if you can keep pushing and do those things, but like you have to have built-in mechanisms to be able to pause and and have and like savor, you know, there's a new thing that I was just Celebrate. listening to a podcast the other day talking about savoring. And like the practice of savoring and being able to just in a moment, like look at something and be like, man, have you heard of the word glimmer? That's like, that's like a new term. It's the opposite of trigger. So, you know, when something triggers you, it's a glimmer is the exact opposite. So it's like a moment. And I, and as parents, I I have these all the time with my kids. And now that I like have a name for it and I focus on it, I see them way more often, but it's just like a moment that you're like, man, this is a precious moment. Like this is a glimmer in my life. And whether it's your kids playing together or sitting at the dinner table or taking a walk with a dog, like whatever it is, having a great conversation with a friend, it's, there's moments of glimmer. And I think that when you have the gratitude and you're able to pay attention to that, that's what allows you to not be complacent, the bad side of complacency. Right. So. It, it, there is like, there is, how do you see the beauty in both, right? There is right. beauty in pushing and there is beauty in complacency, presence, being just being. Um, but if I, and I, and for me, I'm like, I, I love those moments with clients, right. Yeah. When it's suddenly like, oh, there is good in the bad. 
and there can actually be bad in the good. Yeah. And that doesn't like neither are all bad or all good, but they're how can you kind of be aware enough and intentional enough to yeah, like invite some complacency, yeah. hand invite the pushing and not too much over rotate on dialing on one or the other. Yeah. Because it creates, no. it just creates pain, you know, and so yep. much of what I say to clients is I'm like, there is a lot of suffering in the world. And when we are recording this podcast, there is like a tremendous amount. And there is enough to go around that then to have people create so much internal suffering mm. within themselves when that is actually something that we can navigate. It's not easy, but it's possible. Like, oh my gosh, let's relieve some of that pain and suffering. Can people change? Like, do you, do you, have you seen people really change? It's a great question. Can I ask you before I answer yeah. what's your sense? I mean, Yes, I obviously. And I think, again, looking back at some of the stuff that I was struggling with when we first started, I'm I'm in a totally different place than I was in 2018. And I attribute a ton of that to you. Um, and I think some of that is getting older, right? I think I used to be so afraid. I wish someone had told, like, if you're a young, especially woman <laughs> listening to this, like getting older is awesome. Like I used to be so afraid of getting older because it's there's all this thing about oh you but I'm like every year I'm I'm more sure of myself, I'm more confident, I have more life experience. What I, what actually what enables that for you? Um I think the intentionality around you know, like kind of paying attention to it. Um yeah. and and being able to, you know, well, a having having done the work and and really tried to look at things differently. And every day, you know what I, I'd say my one of my biggest takeaways, and this is something that is I've found to be so true. I was talking to Chris about this the other day. I think so often we think that we, oh, we changed. Like, oh, okay, that's the old me. Now I'm like the new me. And the reality is it's like a commitment every single day. Like you don't ever just turn the dial and then it's stuck there for good. It is every day. How are you going to show up? How are you going to be a mom? How are you going to be a wife? How are you going to be a colleague? Whatever. And it's, you just have to recommit every single day. And when you think about it that way, it actually makes it a little bit simpler because then if you have a day that you sucked at one of those things, you get to try again tomorrow and it's okay. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're a bad mom or a bad, you know, colleague or whatever. So that, that's one of my biggest, I'd say learnings and takeaways is that it's just that every single day you get to choose like how you're going to show up. And if you don't think about it like that, you're going to slip backwards, you know? Yeah. And you're going to yeah. go backwards, but yeah. So I, I think people can change. I think, I think it's everything kind of like goes in seasons, though, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's not we're not moving along this timeline. It's yeah. like a lot of yeah. up back and around. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah. Um, I mean, so my quick response is yes. I mean, I, I feel like I would feel terrible being in this line of work if I didn't I believe say, it. You, you um, have to say yes, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, so the quick answer is yes. I would say that part of the reason that I personally both am drawn to and struggle with this work is it's exactly as you described. Most of it is really incremental mm. and it's actually really subtle. Yeah. And as a result, it can go unnoticed unless you really pay attention and I, I, I feel like it's a huge privilege in my job to draw attention and to say like, but wait a minute, <laughs> like you would not have done that two months ago yeah. or actually you engaged totally differently or it feels like you're 
that assumption doesn't have the same grip on you as it did before that actually like, oh, I don't see complacency as bad anymore. Mm -hmm. And then that enables a whole bunch of things to happen. Suddenly it's like, oh, I can just hang out without a real reason and get joy as opposed to feeling anxious. Um, so I think though, that it, it requires, as you said, waking up and paying attention and celebrating and continuing to notice and how do I want to continue to grow and evolve? And I'm fairly impatient. (laughs) And so it's ironic in some ways that I am in a line of work that is never complete and is very incremental. And yet I'm like, why else are we on this planet if not to make ourselves better and then to try and contribute to the lives of other people and attempt to make their lives better? And I feel like it's really freaking hard and really important. And a lot of people go through life not actually examining and some are fine and some are really dissatisfied and then life's over. And that seems just like a huge bummer to me. It is a huge bummer and it is so sad. And I think people don't realize that there is another story for them. And, and I think I would, you know, as we kind of get towards the end of this, I would love to dive into, and, you know, both of us are enamored with story and the power of it. Um, but like, how do stories play a role in, in your coaching? Because I think one thing that I've kind of mentioned it, but one thing that you really helped me with was the ability for me to tell myself a different story. Like, is there a different story that you could tell? And it is so powerful. And I think in some ways, so simple once you actually have the framework for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we've kind of implicitly been talking about it. And I I love that you're making it more explicit, right? Implicitly, we tell stories like, if I'm not grinding and if I'm not hustling, I'm lazy, right? Or if I'm at peace, I'm giving up. Um, and And as you've described, actually, there are so many alternative stories. Maybe actually being at peace with certain things and pushing on others will allow me to live a fulfilling life, right? We can shift the narrative that we tell ourselves. And so, so much of the work that I do with clients is just like pushing and testing on assumptions. I mean, one of my favorite questions from um, a woman named Jennifer Garvey Berger, who I've learned a ton from, another coach, um, you know, the question that she uses so often that I have completely stolen is just like, how might you be wrong? Like, how might the story you're telling just, what, what, how could the opposite be true? Um, maybe complacency would be something that is enlivening to you as opposed to soul crushing. Yeah. Um, and then I think we also tell a lot of stories in relationship with other people. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've been married for a long, I mean, close to 20 years and I'm, I still tell stories about my <laughs> husband's motivations and like, well, he must've done that because blah, blah, blah. I mean, we are we are creative storytelling creatures, but oftentimes the stories that we craft create us as, um, you know, kind of the hero, and we're the one that are overburdened and unseen, and the other person doesn't get us, and and we forget that the other person has a whole story that they're crafting and a life that they're living, um, and so I think stories show up within us, and we can tell different ones to give ourselves some more choices and more freedom. And in relationship, we can be more curious about other people's stories in order to find more connection and build some empathy. That is just so beautifully said. And I'll the, the last story that I will tell about, you know, and this again, this is small, but the small things are big. And it, I sound like the worst neighbor as I tell this story too. This was at our old apartment. <laughs> but there was uh, one of our neighbors would park 
his car directly in front of our like walkway, which was technically a parking spot. So like it was legal to be yeah. there. But, you know, we had like Collins was a little baby. And so we'd have to go around on the grass to push the stroller off to get it on the sidewalk. And he would leave it there for like weeks at a time because, I, you know, and I the story I was telling myself was that, you know, God, this neighbor, he's so selfish and he just like leaves his like beat up car right here. And I'm so I was like so so obnoxious, right? I mean, he's not even thinking about me and my stroller needs at all and that we have to like look at this every day. But all, and I remember after doing one of the, um, some session with you about like telling yourself a different story, I said to Chris, I'm like, okay, maybe instead of this guy being like a jerk tech bro, who's, you know, on vacation, whatever, what if he's like, uh, you know, an overseas doctor and he's helping people in Haiti? And that's why he's gone for months at a time. And like, this yeah. is the card that he can afford. And this is the only parking spot because he pays a small amount of rent. So he doesn't get a parking spot in the good one. Yeah. And all of a sudden, so we made up this whole narrative. And then every time I saw that car, I was just like, you know what? I'm so Thank glad you for your service. somebody. Thank you for your service. Yeah. That's the thing. What did it do to, what did it do to you? I mean, it changed. I laughed every time I saw the car. And what is most hilarious is that like, maybe three weeks afterwards, or maybe it was much longer, but it, it felt like a small amount of time. He ended up moving out and we never saw the car again. But it was one of those things that I'm like, instead of having this, you know, you, you start like tension, your blood starts stress. in tension in front of you. All of a sudden I'm like, man, that guy. And I would just like picture him, you know, whatever the like doctors overseas. Doing like cleft palate surgery <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. No. And that's the thing. I think sometimes we're so resistant to alternative storytelling because we want the truth. Yeah. But we live under this illusion that our story is the truth mm. versus what are alternative stories we can tell that actually just provide us with freedom and relief and choice. Right. And what you did a beautiful job of is let me concoct another story because I don't know any of I don't know which story is true. Right. We have no so that maybe, one is as true as the other one. Right? Totally. Right. So maybe I can concoct a story that actually allows me to feel less angry, hold less resentment, feel less judgy. And then I can operate in the way I want, which is a little levity bond with my husband over the ridiculousness of this. And so, yeah, so I think storytelling can be a really amazing way of just making life a little bit easier a little bit and easier. it's hard because we are creatures caught in our own righteousness episode for another time uh, that is yeah, that's a future episode <laughs> creatures caught in our own righteousness that's the perfect <laughs> way to end this one uh before we go though i do yeah. want to have betsy bloom our executive producer extraordinaire join us for a final thought and our final new segment of the show that we're going to do every week so betsy thank you how are you oh i thought that was a glass of wine that you just pulled in <laughs> which would have been really good I just have a glass of wine that slides in at the end. That's how we we're introducing the segment. (laughs) That's going to be it. Yep. Okay. From now on, every time we do the gratitude segment, we're going to have a glass of wine. Start like spilling my, yeah, perfect. Um, Before we do our final segment, was there anything that, I mean, there's like 8,000 things that Chantal said that I feel like spoke to me, but I've talked to her about a lot of these things before. Is there anything that uh, resonated particularly with you? Uh, What didn't resonate, I think, is the better question. That felt like such a gift to be the fly on the wall listening to that conversation. Um, There were so many things. I mean, actually on Monday, we just had a conversation where we talked a lot about like the stories that we tell ourselves. And a lot of that for me stems around my anxiety. And so like I made the comment that when as a teacher, like when I turn my back and a student whispers, I tell myself the story that it's about me. But 
what if that there's so many other possibilities that student might be whispering something important to their friend about something that happened four periods earlier. Um, and so this idea of like not making yourself the main character, um, you're, you're always going to be the main character in your own story, but you're not the main character in everyone else's. And I feel like you caps captured so well, how that relates to empathy, um, and, and holding space for other people's stories. So that was really, it was really enlightening for me. Oh, well, good. Well, then we accomplished something in our first episode together. So that feels like a win. Um, And I do think, you know, like the core thing that this podcast, we all kind of talked about this as we got together and we're thinking about how we were going to structure this. But the thing that this is ultimately helping solve for is our, and Chantal, you said it, like our systemic disconnection that we all feel. And I think, you know, our collective desire to sort of bring into focus, like, our desire to feel known and understood and for all of our communication devices that we have, like we struggle to to tell people how we feel, how they are loved, why we love them and why their lives matters. And so I think just carving out this space is, is really important. Um, and part of that is to think about and name the people who have influenced you uh, and then telling them how and why they've influenced you while you still can. So each week we are going to end with Um, a simple shout out and we'll come up with like a catchy name for this, but like a moment of gratitude, someone from your life who has impacted who you are today and why they mattered. And it can be from as far back as whatever, you know, first grade, kindergarten, baby to like the milkman this morning. So Betsy, I'm going to put you on the spot and have you go first. Who's your, who's your shout out moment of gratitude for? You know, we keep talking about signs and the fact that you said the milkman this morning, because my shout out is for my grandfather who his job was a milkman. And he was the first person that I thought of when you talked about like, why don't we honor the lives of people who aren't celebrities, who aren't famous or rich or any of these things. And he was none of those things. He wasn't famous. He wasn't rich. Um, But he has such an impact and such a legacy in our family um, because he was just kind every single day. Um, And I had more time with him than I did with my grandmother. But I'll just tell a quick story to illustrate that. So um, my mom was at the cemetery uh, looking for my grandmother's grave and she had been putting flowers on on someone else's and she was like, where is the grave? And then she was like, oh, I wonder if it's where my dad has set up a lawn chair. And he used to go and sit next to my grandmother's grave on a lawn chair every day just, just to be with her. And I don't know, I think about that all the time about um, – the type of person that he is. And, and I, it's like, what would Fritz do is, is sort of the same thing as what would Jesus do in my mind. So I'm just grateful for him. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. And I will also, um, I'm laughing only because there was a saying in our family, it was like, what would Chantal say? What would Chantal do? <laughs> we that say that me all the time. <laughs> the Holy Trinity here. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my God. No, no. So no, yeah, it no. is. I'm always like, Oh, what would you, we always, I say Chris and I and Alex and my, we all say it all the time. So that's awesome. I can't believe he was a milkman. That's there you go. Yeah. The universe. The universe. All right. I also think Fritz is an incredible name. Fritz is an incredible that. name. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Chantal, how about you? Um, all right. So I'll go with just who is coming most to mind for me. Cause as you said, Ashley, I'm glad there's more opportunities because yeah. there's like just, small and huge influences for all of us. Um, but I'll go on the other spectrum and um, I'll 
talk about my eight-year-old daughter. Um, so her name is Scarlett. She is the youngest of three, um, which oftentimes means that um, they are attention-seeking and happy to do anything to draw, you know, eyeballs on them. I would say, yes, she fits that stereotype. Um, and she is currently um, in a theater class where she um, has the role of Buddy the Elf in Elf the Musical. Incredible. And so she has been practicing and, you know, she likes to rehearse in costume. I mean, it's not happening for another like two months, but she likes to be in costume while practicing her lines. Um, and the joy that girl exudes oh. in, you know, talking about how much, you know, she loves being Buddy and... Um, it is contagious. And uh, I feel like at this stage of life and for anyone in, in so many different circumstances, and as we've been talking about today, like things can feel heavy. You know, the world is heavy. Um, you know, I've got some aging parents. I'm sure other people do. Folks are grappling with a lot of things. And it is just like a breath of fresh air and a reminder that, oh my gosh, sometimes you can just embrace the joy, get in a costume, be silly. <laughs> Um, and it is, I think, just good for the soul. And so she is a um, symbolic and real reminder of keep it light, have some fun and enjoy the ride. I love that. I, I feel like we need to have Scarlett on the podcast. We don't have to get at least a snippet of the performance like in her buddy costume, in the elf yeah. costume would be. Yeah, she's preferred. a chatty one. So it would be a double feature, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay, this is funny because I really struggle, you guys, with like, Okay, who's the first moment of gratitude shout out going to be? Because there's, as you both said, like there's so many different people. But I'm going to go with my high school English teacher, uh, Mr. Tom Hilbert, Mullen High School, Denver, Colorado. Shout out. Um, he taught me my sophomore year and my senior year English classes. And he was like so brilliant. He he had like a handlebar mustache before it was a cool <laughs> thing to have. And he was also really tough. Like he was a tough grader. He required a lot. Um, but he totally helped me fall in love with stories and poetry and Greek mythology. I took a Greek mythology class from him that I just absolutely loved. And I remember, you know, in talking, Chantal, about the importance of um, hearing people, like having people reading things or hearing things that people feel about you. I remember reading the college student recommendation form that I had asked him to fill out. And he filled it out and then he gave me a copy of it later, which I don't even know if he was supposed to do. But you never really know like how teachers feel about you. And he did use a few words that I remember I had to look up because I didn't know what they meant. Like maybe I'm not as good as he thinks I am. But ultimately it was just this such, I felt like seen through this. I thought I was like, Mr. Hilbert thinks that I'm like this smart and this talented and this, like it was life-changing for me. It was this like breath of confidence that was so powerful for my 18 year old self. And I, you know, he's retired now. I think he's been retired for several years. And he's last I heard he was working in a bike shop, um, which is just perfect. But I haven't talked to him forever. I don't have his email or his phone number. But somehow, if this makes its way to Mr. Hilbert, like, I just want to say thank you. I think about you all the time. And you totally laid the foundation for what I'm doing now. So shout out, Mr. Hilbert. Um, okay, ladies, uh, I feel so lucky that you guys both said yes to this. And I have already, I mean, I learned a lot from you both in the last 45 minutes and I know that we're going to, there's a lot more to come, but I just like truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you for doing this. Um, and Betsy, you're going to get center stage next week. So 
Can't wait. It's a really, that's a tough act. To I, yeah, I was going to say, I apologize that you have to go after Chantal. Yeah, first. I appreciate the apology. Uh, and Chantal, um, yeah, go go enjoy the rest of your day. I hope that you, yeah. I hope that you can go like find a few pockets of joy and, you know, help people save the world because I know that's also what you're doing. Ashley, thank you for the ask. Betsy, great to be with you. And just a real delight to be with you ladies. Thank you. We will do it again soon. Uh, Thank you as always for listening. Please share any comments, feedback, questions that you have, suggestions uh, in the comment section. and, And also leave us a review. It certainly helps. And we'll see you next time. 